Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. And we're ready to go. Welcome, boys and girls, leaders around the world, to this Facebook Live episode of the Releaders Podcast with Scott Eblen and me, your host, Kevin Edwards. Scott is the president of the Eblen Group, a leadership development firm committed to helping executives lead and live at their best. As a recognized expert on leadership, global speaker, best-selling author, and executive coach, Scott works with many of the world's best-known companies and organizations. In this episode today, we'll be talking about who Scott Eblen is, about the third edition of Next Level, his book on leadership, defining leadership, and always advice for the next generation. Scott Eblen, how are we doing this morning? Doing terrific, Kevin. How are you? Fantastic. Well, you know, I'm actually really curious about this new book that's coming out. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask you, and I haven't read it yet, and so you're telling me it's the third edition of The Next Level. What insiders know about executive success? What do insiders know about executive success, Scott? Uh, they know that to get different results, you actually have to do different things, right? And and leaders are always charged with getting new and bigger results. And you know, as Einstein said a long time ago, you can't keep doing things the way you've always done them and expect different results. So what I talk about in The Next Level, and ideas is that there are behaviors and mindsets that you need to pick up and behaviors and mindsets that you need to let go of when you're moving into next level situations, whether it's promotion, bigger job scope, uh, changing competitive environment, higher performance bar, whatever it is. All of those require different results. You've got strengths you're bringing to the table. That's great. Uh, but strengths by themselves probably aren't enough. You're going to have to pick up some new things, learn how to do some new things, but you're also going to have to let go of some stuff that's worked for you up until now that because things are changed and they're probably not going to work anymore. And, and now what's new and different about the third edition? Now this is the third one. What's, yeah, yeah, what's new about yeah. it? Well, part of what's new about it is I've learned a lot in the last eight years since mm-hmm. the second edition. Like you said in the intro, I get to work with leaders and companies all over the world, really. And I, I do a lot of executive coaching, uh, leadership development programs, keynotes and workshops and things like that. So I get a lot of exposure to, a, you know, really thousands of leaders in any given year. And I've just learned a lot over the last eight years. One of the big things I've learned and come the conclusion I've come to is that if you want to lead at your best, you have to live at your best. Uh, and so one of the things that's new in this edition of The Next Level is framing up three big imperatives, you know, things you must do, I think, if you're going to be successful as a leader. And those three are managing yourself, leveraging your team, and engaging your colleagues. And you can think of it like as a pyramid, you know, with managing yourself at the base of the pyramid. And if you're not doing that well, if you're not managing yourself effectively, then you're not going to be very effective at leveraging your team and and working through and with your team to get bigger things done. And if you're not working with your team effectively and leveraging them, then you're not going to have the bandwidth to engage your colleagues, the people, you know, the people at your peer level that you work with or people outside of your company or whatever that you work with. 
And that's where all value is created, where most of the, you know, additional value add really comes through the collaboration that comes from engaging with your colleagues. So you can track it back. You know, if you're not leveraging your team, you're not going to be able to do the colleagues. If you're not, lever- if you're not uh, managing your stuff effectively, you're not going to be able to leverage the team. And, you know, when I guess when you go into a position, you know, you sometimes you automatically think that your leader, your boss can effectively you know, delegate jobs and he's going to create that team environment. You know, Mm -hmm. why can't some leaders do that? Yeah, because they're go-to people. Uh, Pretty much everybody ends up in a leadership role as a go-to person. And, you know, what do go-to people do? Number one answer is they get stuff done, right? So it's a great thing to be until it's no longer a great thing to be. And I, I think it's no longer a great thing to be when the scope gets to be so big or the challenges that are so broad that you can't operate that way anymore as the individual hero or heroine. You've got to make a big shift uh, from being the go-to person to somebody who creates and builds teams of go-to people, which requires delegation, smart delegation, which I talk about in the book. And that's something else that's new to the book is a lot more on delegation and a framework for doing that in an effective way. Uh, but it also requires a mindset shift. You know, you've got to pick up team reliance, let go of self-reliance, pick up defining what to do, let go of telling how to do it, pick up accountability for a lot of results and let go of responsibility for a few. It's kind of the difference between owning it and doing it. Mm. And it needs to be less doing and more owning. And for people on the outside listening to this right now, what would be the one thing that you would tell them about this book? The one thing. Uh, Why did they get this book? Uh, if you, <laughs> because there's about 40 or 50 people that uh, I've interviewed for the book. You know, the subtitle is What Insiders Know About Executive Success. And over the years, I've interviewed a lot of really successful leaders, you know, at, at the executive, senior executive level about what they've learned along the way, uh, but also what their advice is for people that are moving into these kinds of roles. You know, what what should you pick up and what should you let go of? So there's that kind of wisdom, the outside in kind of wisdom. And at this point, uh, I've got 18 years of experience in working with executives all over the world. And, you know, we're on the third edition of the book. So there's just a lot of, you know, accumulated <laughs> knowledge. I a think, lot of knowledge that, there. You know, that's been years. picked up along the way. And I think the other thing I would say, and I, I hear this all the time about uh, this book in particular, it's simple, it's practical, and it's immediately applicable. I, I really, I try to, people tell me all the time, it's like having a conversation with a coach. And I want it to be like that. I want it to be like a conversation with me and, you know, between you and me, much like the conversation we're having. And I want you to get immediate takeaways that you can apply to make things better right now, but also, you know, longer term basis kind of begin to make the changes that are really going to serve you, not just as a leader, really, but as a person as well. Hmm. Now, Scott, 18 years. Yeah, yeah. What what brought you um, to this career choice? And, you know, what does a leadership consultant do and, and kind of why are you doing it? Yeah, so I'd, I'd say a couple of things. Um, I used to be a corporate guy, uh, about 15 years worth of corporate experience as a manager and senior executive. And the very long, or, the long story, but the short answer is uh, executive coaching, which was really where I started out 18 years ago was as, as an executive coach. 
uh, was all the stuff I loved about corporate life and not a lot of the stuff that I didn't love about corporate life. And what I really loved and still do, uh, I've always been interested in leadership development since I was a kid. And um, I've always been interested in strategy. You know, how do we get from point A to point B and what are the steps along the way to get to point B? And the way I view coaching, uh, specifically leadership development in general, it's the intersection of those two things. You know, it's like, how do I get to be, how do I become a better leader and what's going to take me there? Or what are we trying to do in this organization? And what do I have to do as a leader to lead us there? Mm -hmm. And that's really what I work on, you know, and uh, this idea about leading at your best to do that, you've got to live at your best is something that I've really started to pay a lot of attention to over the last seven or eight years because I think life and the world gets crazier and faster really pretty much year over year. And there's way more information and stuff going on than the human brain has the capacity to process. So it's just, you know, um, how do you pull all that together and do work that supports leaders and help them, helps them build better organizations and, you know, have fulfilling lives in the process. Definitely. Well, you know, for me, it's like leadership is everything. It's like when I came into my previous job working, you know, as simple as working for an equipment manager for women's Mm -hmm. basketball, walking into the office every single day and knowing that I had a boss that cared about me was huge. Yeah. Yeah. What type of impact are you seeing when you're done with these companies? Well, so you just kind of alluded to something I say all the time with, with the woman that you worked for. If you're a leader, you control the weather. And and what I mean by that is, is however you show up is completely predictive of how the rest of your team or your organization is going to show up. If you've got the title, if you're the designated leader, people are taking their cues from you. If you show up stormy and cloudy, everybody's going to have a, a, you know, a rough ride that day. If you show up sunny and bright and you know, like we can get stuff done and it's going to be great, then they're going to be optimistic and ready to go. Right. Right. And so that's what I see. I mean, that's what I see. You know, it's um, it all starts at the top and whatever top means, whether it's a team leader, whether it's a department leader, whether it's a business unit leader, whether it's somebody running a Fortune 500 company, um, it starts at the top and the culture is established there. And that's that's really what I try to help leaders understand is the impact that they have. And they need to be aware of what they're trying to do and what's going on around them, aware of how they're showing up, and then be intentional about making the choices that are going to help them achieve what their organization needs to achieve and and help people be better and better so that everybody gets the results that matter the most. Definitely. And now, Scott, what what about the people that just don't listen? I mean, have you ever came across a company or a business leader that just didn't want to listen to you, that you just couldn't turn? Yeah, sure. There's an old joke in, in, in coaching. You know, how many coaches does it take to change a light bulb? Right. Uh, only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change, you know? <laughs> right. And, and yeah, but that's true. It's true. I mean, I, but I think the thing is, part of what I and I think most people involved in this field try to do is bring an outside in perspective or or distill the perspective of what's going on in that leader's world. Because sometimes when you're in it, you can't see it, right? Mm. I have the advantage of not being in it. 
And so I can talk, to, and I just did this this week, I can talk to a dozen colleagues of a chief operating officer and spend an afternoon with them with the write-up of what I heard in those interviews and say, here's what people love about you and here's a couple of things you could work on to make it better. Hmm. Right? Yeah. I could benefit from a coach. I could benefit from more. So that makes it a hell of a lot easier, right? Right. Uh, when they've when they've decided that they want to be better, if somebody doesn't want to be better, there's not much you can do to help them. Oh yeah, no doubt. And now, Scott, what about um, your definition of a leader? We're Leaders Magazine. You know, we define leaders as someone who can inspire the future. That's why we like yeah. to highlight the stories of companies doing well by doing good and, and making mm-hmm. the world a better place. You know, how mm-hmm. would you define a real leader? Yeah, I do that in a couple of different ways. Uh, the first uh, comes from a mentor of mine from graduate school years ago, a, a guy at Harvard named Ron Heifetz. And Ron is an expert on adaptive leadership. You know, how do you, how does the leader adapt to the situation? And one of Ron's big things and big ideas is that the job of a leader is to help the group define the work that needs to be done and then do the work, you know, help them do the work, enable that work. So I think that's one really great definition. It's really not about the leader. It's about the group, you know, and the leader enabling the group to do what needs to be done and helping them identify that and and go after that. Related to that is one of my favorite things I've ever heard about leadership. Uh, Originally, I think, comes from Napoleon Bonaparte, who you know, (laughs) had his good and bad moments as a leader for sure. But but it was, you know, a pretty smart guy. And he said a leader's job is really two parts. The first part is to define reality. And the second is to offer hope. Mm-hmm. You know, so defining reality and offering hope, I think, is a really good definition of leadership. It kind of goes back to Ron's definition. You're helping the group define reality and to, and to accept and confront and deal with reality. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you've got to be in a, the kind of leader that creates a sense of hope like, wow, we can do this, you know, and, and helping the group get better and better so they can, you know, change the current state of reality, right? Right. Um, and I think that's the work of leadership, really. Define reality and offer hope. Offer hope. Napoleon Bonaparte. But, you know, it didn't end so well for Napoleon Bonaparte as he was no, exiled on the island. Right? He should have followed his own advice. Because really it was good advice. And maybe yeah. that's because leadership is changing a little bit though you know how has leadership changed in the last 18 years how's your definition of a real leader changed over the last 18 years yeah i i think a couple of ways um one let's talk about how the world has changed for leaders in 18 years um one big thing a big difference between now and 18 years ago attention spans are much shorter everybody's attention span is shorter and that's driven by technology primarily and and the information flows and the way we consume information. And so, you know, if it used to be a 90 minute meeting, now it needs to be 10, (laughs) you know, it's just, there's just a lot less tolerance for going deep and long. And, and so I think leaders need to be aware of that and economize and meet their audience where they are. And um, that probably goes to the second big change. And this is maybe not just in the last 18 years, although I think it's accelerated a lot in the last 18 years. Uh, Leadership is not about, um, I've got all the answers. You know, I'm the leader, therefore I have all the answers. 
leadership is about how, how helping other people come up with their own answers and directing that effort towards some some common goals. But it's not about you being the hero, you know. It's it's or the hero, the heroine. It's about you enabling people to be the heroes. It's you know, like like I said earlier, it's making this shift from being the go-to person, the hero, to building a whole team of go-to people, a bunch of heroes, right? Mm. And that's to me, that's changed a lot over the years. And I think we'll continue to go in that direction. And to go off that point, you know, like you're saying, you know, there's no one way to be a leader. And there's always different approaches you have to look at. There's different questions you have to ask and make them find their own answers. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you a story. So I'm in San mm-hmm. Francisco last week and I'm taking the Uber t- from the airport um, to this conference called SoCap, Social Capital Markets, where I'm doing a lot of interviews. Uh-huh. In this ride, I always enjoy talking to Uber drivers. So we start yeah, talking and, I, and I'm, I'm talking about leadership. Turns out he's this manager at some local restaurant in San Francisco. He's been managing for 26 years. And he says, he's like, I know leadership. Let me tell you about leadership. He's a, I go by the, the acronym of Sparkle. So listen, hmm. he says, Sparkle, S, sense of urgency. P, passion, A, accountability, R, respect, K, kindness, L, leadership, E, engagement. So yeah. I wrote those things down. I told him, hey, you know, we'll, Saquon, we'll give you a shout out on, on the Relators podcast. But Sparkle, a little too long for me. What would be your, let's go with four. What would be your four pillars of leadership? I can, uh, yeah, I can boil it down to three. I've already right, mentioned perfect. them. Uh, manage yourself and leverage your team and engage your colleagues. I mean, I, I think uh, and it really starts with managing yourself. And, you know, I, I said earlier, leaders control the weather. I talked about being aware, aware of what's going on around you and aware of what's going on inside of you physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, uh, emotionally, because what you want to do then is be intentional, you know, and, and if you are in a continual state, a kind of a chronic state of fight or flight, which I think a lot of leaders are because of all the stuff they're trying to manage, all the stuff they're trying to pay attention to at once, all the commitments that they're trying to honor, stressing out over the commitments that they're not able to honor. And it puts their body's sympathetic nervous system on overdrive and they end up making really bad decisions uh, communicating ne- not nearly as effectively as they could. And so they everybody's heard of fight or flight. The opposite of that is rest and digest. It's your body's parasympathetic nervous system. It's the gas pedal and the brakes. And I talk about this in the book, The Next Level. You want to hit the sweet spot between the gas pedal and the brakes. And that's really the essence of managing yourself effectively. And if you don't do anything else other than that, you're going to be a better leader. I mean... And then we can get into the 201, you know, leverage your team and how do you do the effective delegation and how do you align people against goals and all of that good stuff. And then the 301 stuff is now let's do one plus one equals three. How do we work with others outside of our immediate team to solve stuff that we can't solve on our own, to create stuff that we can't create on our own, to create additional value that helps our customers, that helps our owners, our communities, you know, all the different stakeholders, you know, so that's why, that's why I focus on those three. It's just like, again, simple, practical, applicable. I'm trying to make it real for people and 
you know, I like Sparkle too. That's that's <laughs> cute. That's cute. But a lot of the, the reason it's too long is there's a lot of uh, overlap in his model, yeah. you know, uh, and so you could boil it down to, you know, he's got some really good behaviors in that model, most of which flow out of managing yourself effectively. Well, I, I like how you keep saying you got to keep it simple and leaders yeah. do need to keep it simple sometimes. Now, you mentioned fight or flight and you keep mentioning the, the nervous systems. Yeah. I'm not going to try to act like I know anything about that. But mm-hmm. what I'm going to ask you is sometimes leaders feel like they're natural leaders. You know, would you say leadership is more nurtured? Is it, is it, are people natural leaders or does it come from um, nature? I think it's nurture, honestly. I, I think most people, if they're inclined to be, I think the motivation has to be there. But I think most people can learn how to be reasonably effective leaders because the whole thing is it's really not about it's not about the heroic, you know, general Patton in front of the American flag, you know, giving the pep talk to the mm-hmm. troops. It's not that most of the time. It's hardly ever that unless you're you know, the, a four-star general, maybe. Um, what it really, that's the transmitting version of leadership. Let me transmit my message to you. That eventually gets old for people and it's, it becomes less and less helpful over time. I think what effective leadership really is, is about receiving. Let, you know, let me create some space for you to generate your own ideas and to support you in that and to guide you in that. And it doesn't require me to be the world's greatest speaker. It doesn't require me to be the world's most charismatic personality. It just requires me mainly to listen. That would be one thing. And I think most people can learn how to do that. And it requires me to, to pay attention you know, to what are we trying to do and how are we showing up against what we're trying to do and to mm-hmm. coach people and guide people against that path, right? Right. Now, Scott, you mentioned Napoleon Bonaparte. You mentioned General yeah. Patton. Who would you say would be on your Mount Rushmore of leaders? Oh my goodness, Four that's bases. a good one. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a great. First that comes to mind is Gandhi. Um, second that comes to mind is Martin Luther King. That's one of mine too. Uh, yeah. Uh, a third would be Rosa Parks. Um, you know, and then if, if we could have 20 on route Mount Rushmore, that would be good. Yeah. But, um, who else? Um, I don't know. A long time ago I was asked, um, in the oral examinations for the foreign service, I, I was, I was in that one time and they asked me to name, they said in Japan, there's their t- a tradition of naming certain people as living treasures. You know, they're still alive and they're living treasures of, of the Japanese nation. Mm-hmm. Who And they said, who would you name as living treasures? And this, again, this was a long time ago, but I said Steven Spielberg was one of mine. And, and it, would I put him on the Mount Rushmore of leadership? Nah, maybe not. But I think actually, I think he's a great leader because, it, you know, to put a movie together (laughs) and at the level that he's done it for so many years requires a lot of leadership. It requires a lot of listening. It requires a lot of vision for sure, 
but it also requires allowing people to really work at their best, putting great teams together. There's a, a wonderful documentary on HBO last year about Spielberg and his career. And, you know, he's got a core team of people that he's worked with for years. Uh, he's great at collaboration. He's constantly stretching himself into new directions. And I, th I think there's a lot about him, really, that's quite admirable that uh, leaders in all different fields could learn from. So, okay, you got your Gandhi, your King, your Rosa Parks. Those are kind of great and obvious uh, examples. Maybe my, uh, my off-the-wall example would be Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, I like it. And they do it, well, he does it the best. Uh, I mean, it's so hard to connect. I mean, I make three-minute videos. It's hard to connect with people. The fact that he can make a two-and-a-half-hour-long uh, yeah, yeah. You know, film presentation and basically bring something that's fiction to life is incredible and impact, impact people emotionally. It's, it's quite fascinating. But I'll, I'll give you mine. I got, I got on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it's here. Jocko Willink. So okay. Navy SEAL, American yeah. Warrior, Decentralized Leadership, Extreme Ownership. Like him. Got John Wooden, obviously got the peer. Yeah, yeah, I have Wooden there. Yeah. I got MLK Jr. Yeah. And then last, I have Steve Jobs. And the only reason I say Steve Jobs is it's sometimes what not to do as a leader. Yeah, yeah. I was I was debating Jobs when when you asked me the question. I was thinking back because Steve Jobs, you know, obviously a huge visionary. Mm -hmm. Uh, when the Walter Isaacson biography came out on Steve Jobs a few years ago, I, you know, I had a lot of clients, you know, executive level leadership people who were reading that book. And I had one guy ask me, he said, well, you know, I'm reading this Steve Jobs book and he was kind of, you know, he makes it sound like he was kind of an asshole. Like, should I be yeah. more of an asshole? Like, you know, should I, should I like, you know, yell at people and really just right. like hold their feet to the fire? And I said, no because you're not a genius. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's no offense. You're really smart, but you're not a genius. And Steve Jobs was kind of like a once in a generation genius who, because of it, there were people that worked for Steve Jobs because they recognized this dude's a genius. Mm -hmm. I don't want, I want to go along for the ride and I know it's not going to be an easy ride, but I want to go along with it. And so he was able to get an enormous amount of stuff done. Um, but yeah, probably, you know, it's like, don't try this at home. Right. I mean, not, not many people can pull that off. Yeah. I wonder what the weather was like at Apple every single day. Uh, yeah. Uh, dark and stormy a lot. Right. But, right. but also, you know, it, I actually had the opportunity, um, before they moved their headquarters, I had the opportunity to eat lunch in the Apple cafeteria, gosh, 10 or 12 years ago. And, with a bunch of guys that worked at Apple and it's my first time on the campus and people there were petrified of running into Steve Jobs. I mean, it was like there, there was a wow. story they told uh, a, a coworker, this guy was wearing bunny slippers uh, at work one day. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's cause you know, it's kind of, you know, you can do that. That wasn't a big thing. So he's wearing bunny slippers and he's on the elevator and Steve, this, the door opens up at the next floor and Steve Jobs gets on. He says, oh my God, I'm, I'm here. It's him and yeah. me and Steve Jobs and I'm wearing bunny slippers. And Steve Jobs doesn't say anything to him at all on the ride. But then Steve Jobs gets off on the next floor. And as he's leaving the elevator over his shoulder, he says, nice shoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, uh, you know. So it, it, yeah, I think slippers. they got a lot done through paranoia there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in the era of Steve Jobs, and it's interesting to compare him to Tim Cook, mm -hmm. you know, who's who Apple's yeah. is still incredibly successful in different ways under than they were under under Jobs, 
extremely successful, like the most valuable company, them and Amazon are neck and neck on most valuable company. And Tim Cook has got a completely different leadership style than Steve Jobs. They yeah. both worked, right? Yeah, and I completely agree with you in that sense. And I've actually had, and I'm sure we've all had the bosses that we're always paranoid of. But my, my a testament to that is just my freshman year, of, obviously, another minor example, freshman year as the equipment manager of the football team. And we had a boss that if you looked at the wrong way, I mean, it's just you're going to towels. You're folding towels mm -hmm. for three hours and you're going to love it, you know, so – um, and, and this is as an unpaid intern. So, it, but I, I'll tell you what, after that one year of working for the football team, I had so much respect for that guy because he pushed me to a level that I never thought was possible. And mm -hmm. he appreciate, you know, the little things in life, especially at my next job and, and right now. So there, there's definitely two things, two ways to look at it. But, I'd say, I'd, let me throw one while we're on sports. I'll throw in, if I had a fifth on Mount Rushmore, I'd throw in Steve Kerr. Steve the Kerr. coach of the Golden State Warriors, yeah. I think Steve Kerr is an amazing leader He's a, um, yeah. for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about. But I, what made me think of that was on their championship ring ceremony a few weeks ago in their first game, they're giving all the players the rings. And then Steph Curry said, wait a minute, there's one more person that's getting a ring tonight. And they called out the equipment manager, mm. right, who's been with the Warriors for years, but well before Steph and KD and all those guys. And – but that dude, he makes it possible, you know, he's, he's makes, he makes sure the players have everything they need to be the Golden State Warriors, right? And, you know, Steve Kerr is the kind of guy who creates a culture where his star player is going to say, hey, let's bring out the equipment manager, you know, because that's yeah. how Steve Kerr is, right? It, it flows from the top, you know, and that's just, that's the kind of leader he is. Yeah, I agree. And the Warriors, great, unselfish team, too. I mean, they, Oh, my gosh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. They're so fun to watch. One of the best teams of all time. Yeah. And Steve Kerr, Arizona Wildcat. You got to love that. Yeah, maybe you do, yeah. <laughs> that's that's where I went, so. Okay, just, cool. Just give him a little shout-out, bear down. Uh, but to go off uh, the point about coming into work, you know, like, like I was saying uh, with my boss and you know, being young and, and having to do all the little things that no one else wants to do, what advice would you give for young leaders? You know, people coming into a workforce that they, they want to you know, show that they can provide some value to the company. They want to show that they can leave, but yeah. aren't in that place yet and don't deserve that respect. You know, what, what advice would you give to them? Uh, just keep it simple. Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. That's my, that's my advice, honestly. Raise your hand. When there's something hard to do, raise your hand. And and do a hell of a great job at it. Uh, you know, it, it could be something non-glamorous. It could be something potentially glamorous. Doesn't matter. Raise your hand. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is you demonstrate that you're willing to jump in and, and, and think and add value and do the work and all of that. But the other is, you, especially as somebody younger in their career, you get a ton of exposure. I mean, you get you get visibility kind of exposure for sure, but you also get exposure to a lot of different situations, right? And it's that's how you develop. You know, you develop by by doing stuff, by learning. You know, you learn by doing. And so, you know, be the person that volunteers. That's that's my advice. Scott, we appreciate your time here today on the Really Is Podcast. Any last words about the book? 
or just in general? Yeah, sure. If people want to know more about the book, um, it's out on all the platforms now, Amazon and, and so forth. It's the Next Level third edition. Uh, there was a dedicated website called thenextlevel.info. And if you want to learn more about me and our work at the Eplin Group, it's eplingroup.com. But I really appreciate the conversation, Kevin, and I hope everybody listening got some some takeaways from it. Yeah, very much enjoyed it. Had a great conversation, great subjects. Um, and for those out there listening to this, thanks for tuning in today to the Relius Podcast.